KVMR FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 o'clock and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Welcome, I'm Claudio Mendonça. On tonight's California Report, Californians have conserved less than 2% of water since Governor Gavin Newsom asked for a 15% voluntary reduction back in July. In some places, it's actually increased. And pediatricians in the Central Valley are concerned about multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children, a condition associated with COVID-19. After local headlines and weather, Felton Pruitt spends some time with Dr. Scott Kellerman, Nevada County's public health officer. Chaplain Norris Burks closes our newscast tonight with a commentary. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. In July, as a response to the worsening drought, Governor Gavin Newsom asked the people of California to voluntarily reduce their water use by 15%. But so far, at least, we've only reduced our water consumption by less than 2%. And in some places, like San Diego and Los Angeles, water use has actually gone up slightly. KQED climate reporter Ezra David Romero tells us what's at stake if we don't use less water. Water leaders are ringing alarm bells about a possible third year of drought. It's so dry that it'll take 140% of normal rain and snow to fill reservoirs. Carla Namath is the director of the Department of Water Resources. She says the long-term forecast shows a drying trend. That means there could very likely be little or no water to deliver to many farms and cities next year. It is important for all Californians to be doing what they can be doing in the face of uncertain availability. Still, the state is sticking with voluntary water restrictions, relying on local water agencies, cities, and counties to enforce stricter measures. For the California Report, I'm Ezra David Romero. Los Angeles County has two juvenile halls, but state officials say they're both failing their duties. The facilities are accused of treating the young people housed there so poorly that within the next two months, they'll have to either fix the way they operate or remove juveniles from the detention centers altogether. It's the first time a state board has found any juvenile hall in California to be so unfit. KCRW's Tara Atrion explains. State inspectors have found Barry J. Nidarf Juvenile Hall in Silmar and Central Juvenile Hall in Boyle Heights are continuing to mistreat their young detainees, most of them Latino or Black youth. In June alone, there were at least 11 incidents involving pepper spray. Under a previous agreement with the California Attorney General's office necessary to operate, the two juvenile halls were supposed to create a more home-like environment where detainees can receive an education and mental health services. Inspectors say the centers failed to follow that, particularly around the kids' mental and physical health. Earlier this year, overseers found the facilities were out of compliance with the state rules. A follow-up review this month found the problems persisted. But now with the new admonishment from the state, the pair will have about 60 days to show they can be compliant with the regulations. The L.A. County Probation Department says they're hopeful they can meet the deadline. For the California Report, I'm Tara Atrion in Los Angeles. With extremely high COVID-19 hospitalization rates in the Central Valley, pediatricians are warning local doctors to be on the lookout for a related condition found in children who've been exposed to the virus. With more, here's Valley Public Radio's Mari Bolaños. Six-year-old Bryce Moore shouts from one side of the small soccer field where he is practicing for his first game. His mom, Fresno resident Jennifer Moore, describes him as a happy-go-lucky kid. But nine months ago, he was anything but that, she says. 
Moore and her husband tested positive for COVID in November 2020. She says Bryce, then five years old, tested negative and didn't show any symptoms associated with the virus. And so my husband and I got through that and recovered. And then at the end of January, um, we picked him up from school on a Friday and he had a little bit of a headache. That was nearly two months after she and her husband contracted COVID. Over the next few days, his headache got worse. He developed a fever, refused to eat, and could barely walk. It was quite difficult to see him go through that. It took three visits to the emergency room at Valley Children's Hospital in Madeira before his doctors finally asked more if Bryce had been exposed to COVID in the last few months. And through that, it came up that my husband and I had COVID. And it was like it clicked right away. They knew exactly what it was. Doctors diagnosed Bryce with multi-inflammatory syndrome in children, or MIS-C, a post-infectious phenomenon that is occurring in children, according to Dr. Reshma Patil, pediatric rheumatologist at Valley Children's Hospital. It is not a disease or a syndrome itself. It is essentially what I like to call a um, tornado or cascade of events that's happening when the immune system is on overdrive. As schools reopen amid a surge driven by the Delta variant, Patel says she's been working to educate pediatricians across the state on how to identify and treat Miss C. And so right now we are seeing a uh, big surge in the Delta variant and rise in COVID-19 infection cases now, especially in the unvaccinated populations. And so we are uh, bracing ourselves for a MSC surge soon to follow. The symptoms for Miss C include fever, headaches, neck pain, and sometimes even vomiting or diarrhea. Because it's a new phenomenon, doctors have a hard time diagnosing it, she says. But the most obvious sign is if a child has these symptoms and has been exposed to COVID. It is occurring about two to eight weeks after the initial COVID may have been present in that child. There were nearly 5,000 reported cases of Miss C and 41 related deaths in the nation as of August 27th, the CDC said. That included nearly 600 cases in California. While Miss C is considered fairly rare, it is disproportionately hitting Black and Latino children. And given the number of total COVID cases in the Central Valley, Jennifer Moore says she's concerned about Bryce's health as he enters kindergarten. There is that fear there because I know we do our best to stay safe, but we don't always know what everybody else is doing. But also, I want him to be a kid. That's why she also urges parents to take the virus seriously and follow CDC guidelines until a vaccine is available for kids younger than 12. These days, Bryce is back to playing soccer with his neighborhood friends. But his mom says because the long-term effects of Miss C are still unknown, doctors will continue monitoring his health. For The California Report, I'm Madi Bolaños. And finally, workers at San Francisco International Airport are now required to be fully vaccinated against COVID-19. The mandate is the first of its kind for a U.S. airport and also applies to all tenants and contractors who have workers at SFO. Employers will also be required to submit reports to the airport on the vaccine status of their employees. Failure to comply could result in fines. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor. PersonalCapital.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt. 
whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And Blue Shield of California, closing the health care gap since 1939. Learn more about their commitment to quality and fair health care for every Californian at news.blueshieldca.com. And that's the California Report for Wednesday, September 22nd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening. Nevada County reported 32 new confirmed COVID-19 cases today. 671 cases are currently active. 20 are listed as hospitalized. In an op-ed published today on ubinet.com, Gregory Diaz, Nevada County's clerk recorder, addressed the large number of requests for a, quote, forensic audit. He says that when someone calls for a forensic audit, they're, quote, essentially asking for an independent third party to come into our election system, review our logs, machines, and source code, and physically dissect the equipment. He goes on to say that a forensic audit is not authorized under California law. It's an intrusive process that adds an unsecured, non-authorized entity into our election systems, compromising the entire chain of custody. So if not a forensic audit, then what? Well, here in California, there are laws and procedures already in place to ensure the security of our voting systems, he says. Voters can see the proof for themselves. The entire election process is open to the public for observation, from vote centers and drop boxes to the vote count and post-election audit any member of the public can observe. Read more of Mr. Diaz's full op-ed at ubinet.com. Turning now to the weather, here in Nevada City and Grass Valley, tonight partly cloudy with a low around 60 degrees, Thursday mostly sunny with a high near 91. Tomorrow's AQI is expected to be good at 28. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight partly cloudy with a low around 37, Thursday should be mostly sunny with a high near 74. The AQI for tomorrow, also good, at 18. And for Sacramento, Woodland, and the Valley, tonight partly cloudy with a low around 60 degrees. Tomorrow should be mostly hot and sunny with a high near 97. Tomorrow's expected AQI, good again at 46. Next up, Felton Pruitt talks with Dr. Scott Kellerman. We're talking with Dr. Scott Kellerman, who is Nevada County's public health officer. Thanks for spending some time with us, Dr. Kellerman. Thanks, Felton. Uh, It's good to spend time with you, too, even if it's virtual. Yeah, that's how it's been for the last year and a half or so. And I guess it's going to continue this way as COVID has not gone away. No, it's still kind of omnipresent and dominates a lot of the news cycles and dominates our lives, too. It's uh, not been an easy thing, particularly as Delta variant. We thought a few months ago, you know, happy days are here again. June 15th, Governor Newsom announced that, you know, the, the blueprint for, for the economy was going away and and everybody was really pleased, opening everything up. And then along came Delta and changed all that. Are there any other variants besides Delta that we need to worry about in California right now? Well, there are no variants. Whether we ought to worry, we got enough on our plate anyway without worrying about other things. But 
Yeah, there's a Moo variant, which came up from Colombia, and that is apparently also contagious and virulent and puts people in the hospital. But uh, wherever Moo is, Delta's just running out of town. Delta's just overwhelmed all the other variants. Well over 90, 95% of uh, the infections in Nevada County are due to Delta. It's the dominant variant, and none of the other variants can get a toehold. One of the uh, new things that has come out in the last week is boosters. Uh, what do you know so far about boosters for the vaccines? Well, it looks like they're going to be approved. There's some studies came out of Israel, particularly that um, you know immediately within a few weeks after getting us, yeah, you know, a third shot. This is only we're talking about for the messenger RNA, the Moderna, or the Pfizer. If they get a, a third immunization, it does boost your antibody levels. But antibodies are only one portion of the immune cascade that helps prevent against any kind of any kind of ailment. You know, particularly we're talking about COVID-19. But there are things called memory T cells and memory B cells, and to study them is exceedingly difficult and complicated lab procedures. So, if you just rely on antibodies, a lot of people's antibodies do wane, but you still have protection. Everybody got a measles shot early on in their life. They're still protected, and that's because of the memory T cells and memory B cells are just lying in wait that if you get exposed, they'll produce the antibodies to fight it off. So it's complicated. And if I had a guess, uh, I think boosters will be approved. I think boosters will probably be approved for those over a certain age, maybe 65, and at a certain time frame after your last shot. And the one that's being studied is Pfizer. We're only talking about one of the three immunizations that are available to Americans that are studying right now as a potential booster. We're talking with Dr. Scott Kellerman, the Nevada County's public health officer. Let's talk about the wildfire smoke for a second and the effects that it has on, on the public here. Now, we've been breathing smoke most of the summer. Have you seen any significant change in the overall lung health of our community since all of the smoke hit? Well, it's a hard good question, but it's hard to get those numbers. It's been certainly well documented that if your air quality index is over 150, watch out being outdoors. And with an air quality index that is higher than 150, then you're more susceptible to COVID. So there's a relationship between you know, COVID-19 and air quality. And not only you're more susceptible, but you're more likely to get sicker. Is there a 60-second answer as to why uh, the, the smoke makes you more susceptible to COVID? Well, I mean, people who smoke, it's a problem that you, you know, you're breathing in all that particular matter, and, and then your body says, well, that's foreign, let's go get it. And so you get an inflammatory response to that, and then you get a virus. You know, which one's the virus is, the, uh, is your body going to fight? And then... The other thing is that you get a chronic irritation from the smoke and you tend to build up more mucus, more fluids. That's the reason people are kind of coughing during all the smoke. And that's a great culture medium uh, for viruses. So we're uh, rolling into the fall now and we've got the cold and flu season coming in on top of a pandemic. What can you say to address that? I'll get a flu shot. We got a drive through at Twin Cities on October 5th. So get a flu shot. It helps. I mean, obviously, in public health, we're interested in the health of the public. And the best way you can deal with the disease is not get it. And most diseases, infectious diseases, are, you know, many of them have immunizations. And so get immunized. 
it will help prevent you having to fight off the disease. Particularly with the Delta variant, they the idea is it's younger, sicker, quicker, and it really has been a problem for the unimmunized. And we certainly we probably wouldn't be having this conversation if a large percentage of Nevada County was immunized. So you, your best way you deal with the disease is to prevent it. You know, we have interesting statistics is that uh, masks do work and hand washing does work and some social distancing does work. And, and it's demonstrated, you just asked about the flu. In America, typically anywhere between 25,000 and 45,000 Americans die over a flu season. Uh, last year, that number dropped dramatically to 685. Just an incredible drop. I'm on a call with healthcare providers on Friday morning in Nevada County, and, and last year, nobody remembers uh, seeing uh, a case of the flu. Now, this year, because I think we've opened up a bit, we're beginning to see a few flu cases and respiratory syncytial virus in kids and some other diseases that we're kind of in the back burner uh, when everybody was masking and, and taking all these precautions. So the collateral uh, benefit of masking you know, was not just for COVID, but also for flu and other viruses. We've been talking with Dr. Scott Kellerman, the public health officer for Nevada County. We certainly thank you for your time and your insights into our current world here. Thanks, Felton. All the best. Check out the full version of that interview on our website kvmr.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Next up, Chaplain Norris Burks. I'm betting that perhaps you got the same message I did on your phone last month, that emergency flashing message, this is County Sheriff Office issuing an evacuation order for a fast-moving wildfire affecting following zones, NC, zero, anyway, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the home Becky and I share nestles snugly in the foothills of Lake of the Pines, so I really had no clue what zone I was assigned to. Smoke was swirling on the horizon, and I jump on the internet, searching furiously for our zone. At last, good news and bad, I can hardly tell the difference. The fire is five miles away, so we didn't need to evacuate. But alas, the fire was only five miles away! Departure felt imminent. I rushed down the garage stairs to retrieve some suitcases. The long-timers in the gold country tell me to always keep your go-bag packed. Well, ours isn't exactly packed, but we were doing that now. So what goes in the bag after toiletries and a few blue jeans? Surely my laptop that I use for writing this commentary should come with us. And I walk in circles around Becky. I'm searching for clues while she loads the family photo albums that she's artistically compiled over recent years. I return to the garage for more suitcases, but pause to check the gas level in our car. Local authorities advise maintaining a full tank during fire season, and alas, I'm caught with a fourth of a tank. I return upstairs where Becky's loading some vintage toys from her childhood. She wants to share them with our newest grandson. I grab my military files and my tax records, and I throw in iPads for good measure. But Becky, she's focused on the personal items, and I'm grabbing the more mechanical things. She wants priceless representations of life that we've lived. I'm morbidly attracted to the replaceable. My greedy arms fill like a kid whose overloaded hand is stuck in the cookie jar. If I withdraw my hand, I'll have to let something go. So I'll ask you, listeners, which one of us is a better packer? I seem to recall Jesus visiting a man 
who felt his life wasn't well packed. The, the man claimed he'd kept the laws of religion and he'd done all the right things since childhood, but he still sensed something lacking at the spiritual center. And so he asked Jesus how it is that he could become whole. Jesus suggested he might go and sell all your stuff and give the proceeds to the poor and your treasure will be in heaven. The man leaves sorrowfully because he can't give up his stuff even if giving up his stuff means saving his soul. How can I make a similar decision to give up my stuff in the face of a fire? Becky reaches on our wall. She reaches for a commissioned painting we had done by a Honduran artist. It's a quiet seaside landscape with a rowboat in the bay. And across the bottom, she had the artist inscribe that folk song lyrics that say, The river is wide. We both shall row, my love and I. I load the painting in the car, and I reach for Becky's hand, the same one I took 41 years ago. No worries, I say, as tears well. We have each other, and I think we have everything we need. The views expressed on this show are those of the speakers only and are not necessarily those of KVMR, our board, staff, volunteers, or contributors. That's a wrap for our first newscast of this fall, Wednesday, September 22nd, 2021. We get support from Wild Birds Unlimited, locally owned nature and gift store offering all things birds, feeding supplies, and nature-inspired gifts. Phone orders and curbside service is available, bringing people and nature together through birds. Wild Birds Unlimited, Neal Street, Grass Valley. And Milkman Toner Company, providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners carrying environmentally safe, remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support. Serving Northern California counties, also San Francisco to Lake Tahoe. MilkmanCompany.com Stay tuned. Up next is The Sages Among Us. Tonight, Taylor Wolf talks with Grass Valley City Council member Tom Ivey. And at 7, we bring you Democracy Now! On behalf of all of us here at KVMR, Happy Fall! And thanks for listening.